Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. Yesterday we were understanding John's version of the death of Jesus and we're picking the story up in chapter 19 of John. You were making the point that John was just, he didn't put a lot of the facts that the other gospel writers put in. He just wanted to tell the story of Jesus. That was all he was interested in. That's right. And um, so now, what is going to happen to his body? That's where the focus is. So verse 31, Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The breaking of the legs would just have hastened the death of those who were crucified. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Why did he pierce him? Well, I expect in the natural he did that just to um, verify that he really was dead. He appeared dead, but, you know, we're going to make sure here. Boom, thrust a spear into his side. That's that. That's the end. So uh, it, it's an important point because, of course, one of the things that people have often said is that Jesus wasn't really dead when he was taken down from the cross. But everybody knew that he was died the, the, um, uh, and that he was a dead man when he was put into the tomb. So the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. John is here, of course, referring to himself. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. There again, you see the purpose of, of John in writing the gospel in the way that he has and in deciding what he includes and what details to exclude. He simply wants people to become believers. These things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So he obviously was another secret believer by now. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And that, that is a lot, isn't it? I mean, you just think of the weight of that. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jesus' burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of Passover, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Uh, I expect those of you who have been to Jerusalem will have visited the garden tomb. I personally think that's probably 
authentically the place where Jesus was buried, certainly not where the Church of the Sepulchre is in the city. Um, you can see the place of the skull nearby, the skull in the, in, in the cliff, which was in a very convenient place just outside one of the gates of Jerusalem, where probably the crucifixion, crucifixion took place. And then just adjacent to that is this garden in which there is this new tomb, very convenient for Jesus to be laid there because it was getting very near the beginning of the Sabbath. So they had to act very quickly. Now, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So her immediate reaction was, The body has been stolen. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Well, John could run faster than Peter. <laughs> he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He's always the guy of boldness, isn't he? He steps in. Uh, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Now, if you picture this this scene inside this tomb, it's like a like a cave, really, that has been hacked out of the um, side of the cliff. And there is this stone shelf where the body of Jesus would have been laid. It sees the, the cloths that had been wrapped around him lying there. And then this cloth was over the, the face, neatly folded and put in place. This is, not, this is not the work of grave robbers. They would just have taken the body as it was. They wouldn't have unwrapped it. They wouldn't have folded up the face cloth and put it in a neat, neatly there. So finally, the other disciple had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still don't understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, what did they believe? Very, very interesting here. I mean, what did John believe? And he believed. Um, he believed that Jesus had risen. I don't think at this point he had believed that he would be seen in a bodily way by them subsequently. I think he would just believe, well, he's returned to heaven. He's gone to heaven. He doesn't need the grave clothes in heaven, so he's left the grave clothes. He wasn't expecting to see him again. No, no, not at all. So, uh, then the disciples went back to their homes well, there's nothing more to do. He's gone back to heaven. You see, that was the kind of attitude. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, I mean, she was just crying for grief that Jesus, who she loved, she would see no more. He'd gone back to heaven, as she thought. 
So as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. So Mary is still in the place. Well, the body has been taken. So she's not quite in the same place that John was. You know, somebody has taken his body away. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, of course, she was full of grief. She had tears in her eyes. She just saw this figure there and didn't really recognize that it was Jesus. But then there was something about the way he called her by name, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Um, Jesus has appeared now for the first time in a bodily, physical resurrection. But he is saying to her, hold on, hold on, hold on. My job is not yet complete. My job will not be completed till I return to be with the Father. What does Jesus mean? Well, we can glean from Scripture that when he returns to the Father in heaven, he presents to the Father the blood that was shed on the cross. The epistle to the Hebrews helps us here, you see. Because it says that when he returned to heaven, he entered into the heavenly sanctuary, the holy of holies, not made by man in the human temple on earth, but the holy of holies in heaven itself, and there to present the blood to the Father that would take away the sins of the world, that would overcome every power of the devil the powers of sickness and of affliction and all the negative things that could come against God's people. So the sacrifice has been made, but Jesus has to return to heaven triumphantly to present, you see, the blood before the Father. And then the Spirit of God can be poured out upon these disciples and upon all those who believe in Jesus. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 